following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 790 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. We're back at it again. Back at it. How was your lunch, by the way? I never, I didn't ask you what level of deliciosity, 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 how delicious was your lunch? (laughs) Uh... It was not great. It was a little startling. I had a comforting lunch. It was supposed to be a comforting lunch of... Like a a grilled cheese and tomato soup, right? Thank you for stating what my lunch was supposed Mm. to be, because I I wouldn't have been able to uh, say what it was I'm here for you. Yeah. And instead, I opened the tomato soup and discovered some sort of black liquid, which was quite unsettling. And... I, for some reason, you were very irritated, like you were in a bad mood, and you were bringing out the food, I'm sitting there with Sweepy, trying to keep her calm, and so you're mad that this is happening, and so I go into corrective mode. The whole setup was a goddamn clusterfuck, to begin with, that I was having to deal with. Where I'm like, okay, I'll just... I'll just eat it. It's fine. It's fine. I'll eat it. Whatever it is. It's fine. And then I smell it and it's a giant canister of balsamic vinegar. Yeah. It looked like au jus, like they switched out. Yeah. Like your grilled cheese was like some kind of a roast beef thing or something. That's that's what I thought it was. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll, I'll eat that. That might even be better than tomato soup. And then I smelled it. And uh, listen, I love vinegar. I used to drink from the vinegar bottle when I was a kid. I love vinegar, but... But you don't want a cup and a half of balsamic. No, it was also leaking. It seemed like oh, it was see. maybe like, a, I don't know, some sort of extra kitchen gathering liquid this is, space. This is why I think you were... That you think I was irritated like long... Like early on into the, the dining experience. We were out on the patio of a restaurant. My irritation started when I went to grab it to bring it back into the restaurant... And spilled vinegar all over my hand, all over my seat. Mm-hmm. And then when I went in, I I had to like beg for a napkin. I'm covered in vinegar, which by the way, it stays with you. The smell. The, the smell and like, it kind of stained my hand. Yeah. And I'm precious. I don't know if you know, I am... Very precious. I have to be taken care of. I mean, based on this story, <laughs> I think that we are... Well, no, just give me a napkin. I'm being a joker. You should have just licked it off your hand. I don't know where that vinegar's been. <laughs> Why is it in that canister? Well, listen, I ate the sandwich still, and I did have concerns about it because I didn't feel great afterward. And you said... All right, here's the name of the restaurant. No, you said when you brought it in <laughs> that the the woman was concerned about it, that she did she didn't know what to say. She didn't know what it was or how that would have happened. Yeah, well, listen, if you ever bring something to the attention of a restaurant, the wait staff, the, 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 just the employees, 
If you ever bring it to their attention, something that's a problem, you can tell when it's feigned concern. Like, oh, we're so sorry about that. Right. She was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then she was like, oh, uh, um, okay, uh, we'll fix that for you. And then as I was walking out, I watched them and they all were like, they huddled together to to talk about how concer- what the fuck is going on okay, over here. Okay, you didn't add that part. I should not have eaten that sandwich. I think that some of it spilled out on my sandwich. Well, the other thing that I heard that I didn't mention to you, <laughs> fucking spoiling the joke, is uh, they were talking about how they'd used your 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 grilled cheese sandwich as the bottom of like a Swiffer sweeper. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you are. Really, you really wish I was dead. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gathering. So you, you have whatever leavens in the kitchen on the floor that we used mm. to sweep up. Maybe it's that's why I didn't feel so great afterwards. Added flavor. I'm glad we had this conversation because it explains a lot of things for me. Thank you. The high point I will tell you, Brittany Page. You know you were there. Uh huh. Is that Sweepy? Yeah. We like ignorant white people took Sweepy in a stroller. Yeah. Down down to Adams Morgan. Wait, like ignorant white people? You know, when you see the people in L.A. and they've got their dog in a stroller that doesn't need to be in a stroller. I'm making a joke. She needs to be because she can't walk Yeah, for long distances. And she's not fully vaccinated yet. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even know what a leash is yet. Yeah, she's not responding well so to the a, leash. You don't have to attack my joke. I was, Just don't attack the joke. I was... Attack me personally. Just leave the jokes alone. They didn't do anything to you. For further They certainly didn't make you laugh. <laughs> that is true. So the high point of the lunch was that Sweepy, in her stroller, mm-hmm. slept the whole fucking time. Yes, it was very nice. Very and nice. Then, and then the entire way home, in yeah. fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the bumpy sidewalks and the... You know, the... Which, which is nice because we've really had our schedules and our routines upended. My Fitbit has alerted me that my health is in serious jeopardy after oh, the last week. That, that's what you got from that message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in, in Brittany's mind, it says, oh, last week you got an hour and 54 fewer minutes of sleep. This could, this could, um, death. This could not Imminent. be. <laughs> but in your mind, you read that. It was flashing that. red. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. And there's wee-oo, <laughs> It's an alarm to you. Yeah. Well, it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. I'm just, we're, we're going with the jokes. This is the oh, theme of the episode. Am I attacking your Yeah, we joke all have now? jokes today. So, all the fuck we need. she's really upended our routine and our schedule, which was we were taking walks every day, getting out, getting steps. Yeah, like 10, 12, 15,000 steps a day. Yeah, and it was really nice. And then she came and she. <laughs> wow, no, what I'm an not, attack. I'm not attacking the dog. I'm just saying that it has created a situation where we've needed to change and adjust our routines. That's all. That's all that I'm yeah, saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's also raining its dick off outside. Yes, that is having an effect on This episode brought to you by the weather, everybody. <laughs> anyway, uh, we really hope, I want to say this before we move on, we really hope that you've listened to episode 789 which was an interview with author and professor at the University of Glasgow, uh, Rory O'Connor, mm-hmm. a suicide researcher. It's a fantastic episode. We had a great time talking to him. Mm-hmm. And we really hope that you will 
Um, not only listen, but if someone in your life would be interested in that or be impacted by that positively, uh, to share the episode with them. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Anyway, uh, we are going to get right into this. We have been talking about... Are we talking about the slap? Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to hear what we have to say about the slap. Well, that's why I'm asking, do you want to talk about the slap? I don't really care. It doesn't... Let's talk about the slap. We we got all kinds of messages like, huh? I thought you guys were going to talk about the blah, 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 the and slap. And then if you don't want to hear us talk about the slap, just know we're going to talk about it for like, what should our maximum time be? Like two minutes, let's say. Two minutes slap time. <laughs> They're going to come back in two minutes and be like, those fucking liars. They are still talking about it. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. I'm sure you know because the whole goddamn world knows. Everyone knows. Will Smith ran up on stage and smacked uh, Chris Rock in the face after telling a joke about G.I. Jane 2 to Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, who apparently has alopecia, and it was offensive to her. Will Smith thought it was fucking hilarious until he looks over at his wife and realizes she's less than pleased. He marches on stage, smacks him in the face, goes back and sits down. Chris Rock handles it like a fucking champion, Says, makes a joke. He says, it was a, oh, it's a G.I. Jane joke, bro. And Will Smith proceeds to say, keep my wa- wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Uh, twice he screams it at him mm-hmm. live t- television <laughs> live tv and uh the internet split in two as with you know most important things that we encounter like whether the dress is white and gold or blue and and whatever blue and black um it went crazy so anyway that's the background just quickly we're sure not going to make two minutes now but uh, in case you don't know that's what happened and everybody wanted to know many people wanted to know what we thought Brittany, you start uh, I don't really care about it. I, I think that everyone's responses to it have been very much overblown. And I want to read my favorite response, and I'll just kind of leave it there. And that was from Essie Cup, and I th- just thought this is the funniest tweet that I've ever read. Wait, it's not Judd Apatow? No. He, he could have killed him. No, that's a good one, too. But- <laughs> I love Judd Apatow, by the way, and that just yeah. bananas response. Essie Cup commentator, political commentator on CNN wrote on Twitter, no one's really talking about how it might have been traumatic to see actual violence, not Hollywood pretend violence on live TV. It was deeply unsettling to watch and to rewatch it as we all have. No one bargained for that. No one bargained for it. Now, this is someone who works for CNN. And CNN is currently covering the genocide that's happening in Ukraine. I believe justifiably so, showing dead bodies on TV to really uh, communicate the, the the gravity of what's taking place. I mean, we live in a society where mass shootings occur on a regular basis, so much so that we don't even hear about it anymore when they happen in certain places. But a dude slapped, open-handed slapped another dude, and she's... Oh, I do declare. Yeah, I mean, it's just excessive. It's yeah. excessive. So I I think that that has been my biggest takeaway is just, I think everyone gets kind of caught up in the internet culture of feeling like you need to comment on everything. And yeah, it then happened. It, I saw it. Now I have to register my opinion. And then it leads to this, like you're reaching for whatever this opinion is. I mean, look, ultimately, I, I, I do agree. It's, it's uh I mean, it does it does touch on larger societal issues about people in and out of power and how they would have been treated in that moment, for sure. Um, I did find myself getting irritated with people who are justifying what Will Smith did. 
um, because, well, that's his wife. He's going to protect his wife. And uh, yeah, listen, we all have that instinct. I am a guy who comes out of a culture of that's how you solve problems. You fight. You smack somebody around. You, I'm going to impose my will over yours because I'm bigger and faster and stronger. I don't want to be that guy. We should all aspire to not be violent. We should all aspire to, yeah, that's that's ultimately what I want to do. But the right thing to do is to not do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, be the the higher thinker in the moment. Mm-hmm. Try to as much as you can. Is that two minutes? Uh, well, well, we'll call that two minutes. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I, so I mean, if we're if we're picking teams here, I'm Team Chris Rock, even though. I don't. I don't think it broke it wasn't down. Even a funny joke. I don't think it broke down into teams like that. Uh, really? Yeah. That's exactly what I witnessed. You know, now after days of commentary, I mean, hmm. Jada Pinkett Smith's view on everything has been completely missing from the conversation. So we don't know how she felt about things. We don't know, you know, and this was supposed to have happened in defense of her. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think in the scheme of things, it's very unimportant. I think they're now putting his movie on hold at Netflix. That seems like a ridiculous move. Absolutely stupid. Um, They're They're really doing that? I think the Academy was discussing, like, punishing him somehow. He He, resigned from the Academy. Yeah, and I mean, come on. All the people that have been accused of sexual assault, sexual harassment. Roman Polanski still has, like, an honorarium. Like, he was honored. Standing ovation and shit. Yeah. He's, he got slapped. He slapped another man. Yeah, so your little party got disrupted with a little bit of conflict. I think that everyone will be okay. Well, yeah. not Essie Cup, but... Well, even Amy Schumer kind of had that. Oh, it's trauma. Uh, triggering and traumatizing, she said. Yeah, it's, it seems very loaded. I don't know. I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate someone's view of what they consider traumatic, certainly. If that's genuinely what someone believes that's is what traumatic. That's then, what I'm here for then I, I hear that seems strange given the society we're all collectively living in. And that's why I made that point about Essie Cup in particular. Like she is a political commentator on CNN. She's talking about some of the most difficult things that are happening uh, in the, on, on this planet. Yeah, and she's talking about it as though she just rewatched and re-experienced the insurrection of January 1st yeah, I mean, or January 6th. It just seems like there's... There's things that are much more significant to say that about rather than yeah the Oscars. And I would drop the number and ask for your opinions, but this has already <laughs> happened weeks ago. Honestly, I wanted it to be two minutes. Yeah. I'm sorry. 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 I, I like to recap shit. Two minutes. What I do. Anyway, listen, we have been talking about uh, culture war bullshit and the regressive, the aggressive desire to regress our society back to when uh, gays could not live out in the open, where women could not freely um, seek reproductive health care. I mean, we are handsmaid's tale adjacent here. Handmaid's tale adjacent. And uh, the... Some of the states that we're we're witnessing some of this behavior, uh, Texas, Florida, Idaho, we can now add Oklahoma to the list, who has now passed their own draconian, unconstitutional abortion ban. 
Well, Oklahoma is set to become the latest state to pass a near total ban on abortion procedures. House Bill 4327, as it's called, is waiting for a vote in the state Senate before making its way to the governor's desk. If signed, it would be one of the strictest anti-abortion bills in the country. NBC News Now correspondent Maura Barrett joins us now from the State House in Oklahoma City. Maura, good morning. First, walk us through exactly what is in this bill and what are both sides saying about it. Well, Vicki, this bill would ban all abortions right after conception, with the exception in two cases, if the mother's life is at risk or if the pregnancy was a result of rape, sexual assault or incest. And those incidents have been reported to law enforcement. And so, as we know, there's a lot of hesitation from women about reporting those kind of incidents. So this is going to limit abortions extremely uh, to an extent that we haven't seen before in other states. And so anti-abortion activists are really excited about this. They're calling it a win. And they're already mapping out their strategy state by state as we look uh, at Roe v. Wade being reconsidered by the Supreme Court this summer. Uh, but meanwhile, clinic uh, providers, healthcare providers that conduct abortions are saying that this is just overwhelming facilities. And it also just forces women to travel to states where abortion is allowed. And this means that it's only becoming available to people who can afford to travel, get childcare if they need it, take time off work. And so it's really just forcing women into a more unsafe procedure if it's limited in their states. And so so this is something that is on the table here in Oklahoma, but it's also one of at least seven other bills right now in the state. That was my next question. Just last year, we talked about Texas, which is right next to Oklahoma. They passed a near complete ban on all abortions in Texas, and that is having a serious impact on medical providers as well in those neighboring states, not to mention the women, as you mentioned, who will now have to travel to get this procedure. What are you hearing from healthcare providers about the rise in patients who are crossing state lines? You know, what kind of effect did the Texas law already have there in Oklahoma? Well, the Texas law was passed back in September, and since then, Texas saw a 60% drop in abortions. But data from the University of Texas at Austin shows that 1,400 women a month left the state to get abortions elsewhere. That's 12 times more than the abortions that were happening before, and they're going to places like Oklahoma, half of them, in fact, coming here to Oklahoma, and these clinics are just overwhelmed. I want you to hear from the medical director at Trust Women Clinic that we spoke to here. In Kansas and Oklahoma, we're kind of living in what is almost like a post-row environment. The sheer volume of people is um, is remarkable. We've had to like adjust our phone systems, adjust how we schedule people, adjust our patient caps, um, and also really pace ourselves for sustainability. Like we could truly be providing abortions 24 hours a day and not meet the needs of uh, of people who already access our clinic. So there was little discussion about this and no debate in the Republican-controlled House. Of course not. The vote was 70 to 14 to send the bill to Republican Governor Kevin Stitt, and he has previously said that he will sign any anti-abortion bill that comes to his desk. The the reporting there didn't talk about one aspect of this, which is also that the bill would make performing an abortion a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Yeah. So I think that one thing I want to highlight with that reporting there is there were two statements that both of those reporters made. One said, women will now have to travel. She used that phrase. Mm -hmm. Women will now have to travel. And as we know from having Diana Green Foster on the show about the turnaway study with women that have been denied wanted abortions, 
that many women are not going to be able to travel because they're, they're not in a financial position to do so. Right. And not just because they can't pay for the travel, by the way, because they can't pay for childcare for their other kids that they may have. They can't take time off work exactly. in order to pay their rent or buy their groceries. Exactly. So there are domino effects that are at play here, aside from just being able to pay for the travel. And then another one of the reporters said that women will, quote, resort to unsafe measures. And we talked about that last time on the show as well, that this is something that is talked about a lot, that if you make abortion illegal, abortions will still happen. They will just be unsafe. And Diana Green Foster points to that not being an accurate representation and that simply making abortions unaffordable, for example, stops a significant number of abortions from happening. So even with the number of people that are traveling to uh, traveling out of Texas to get abortions, how overrun Oklahoma is right now in their clinics. Now that abortion is going to be illegal there, where all of the people that were traveling to Oklahoma going to feel like they can go. Right. Um, it did strike me and it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's something I've, I've thought for a long time and I believe, but I don't, I don't believe they really believe that it's murder abortion mm. because why would you carve out an exception for incest and rape or life of the mother? If you truly, because then it's really a real life trolley problem, right? You know, mm-hmm. because if, if it is incest and it is rape, and you really believe it's murder, you're like, look, that's a bummer, but we're not going to murder a kid because something bad happened to you. Right. So they're they're writing this legislation. If they truly believed, listen, maybe unpopular to say, if they truly believed it was murder, there would be abortion bombing clinics all everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because if you if there is a literal genocide happening on your doorstep in your town, you don't just go out there with a sign and say, hey. Stop murdering the babies. You fucking do something. Mm-hmm. So I just don't believe these people actually truly believe it. I believe it's it's all part of this intricate, intricately woven culture war that we've been fighting for decades. Well, and I do wonder what the point of the carve out is, because similar to the legislation in Idaho that just passed, where you need to produce a police report mm-hmm. to your medical provider pri- prior to having an abortion, the language is the same with this bill in Oklahoma where you need to have filed a report. Yeah. And so you need the government's permission by way of a police department. Yeah. And so it almost seems like, I mean, they're kind of giving this carve out, this exception for rape as long as you have a police report. But it's almost maybe they're counting on the fact that many people do not want to go to the police. There of are course. many obstacles to reporting these things. And maybe just kind of counting on the fact that people won't actually follow through with that. Yeah. I, I don't know. They for sure. I mean, they know, they know those statistics as well as anybody mm-hmm. for sure. We'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. And continuing with Tennessee, there is a bill there that is advancing in the Tennessee legislature to punish librarians and screen materials in libraries for age appropriateness. How can rules on reading do more harm than good? Well, there are concerns tonight over a bill that focuses on what's deemed appropriate in school libraries. News Channel 5's Kelsey Gibbs spoke with a librarian worried about the repercussions of the measure now advancing in the state legislature. 
We have to think about ways that um, we meet every student that we serve in that building as opposed to individual ones. Eric Long has been a certified school librarian for eight years in Tennessee, making sure students have the materials they need to succeed. These are the processes that we go to to make sure that our kids have books that relate to their curriculum, but also relate to them and our world because we are trying to build global citizens, right? She never thought her job would become the center of debate. I will say that um, there's always been this thing where books have been banned or challenged, right? Um, but right now we're in a place where um, it's becoming more targeted um, as opposed to what has been in the past. Governor Bill Lee signed into law a bill this week allowing parents and guardians to see what's in school libraries so they can determine if the material is age appropriate for their child. While that is definitely their choice um, and their right, it doesn't feel right for them to take that choice away from every other student and every other parent that's in that school community. The Tennessee House on Monday passed a bill that lets school boards deem books obscene. It threatens to withhold education funding and school librarians could face criminal penalties if orders to remove them aren't followed. The penalizing uh, definitely didn't think that that would be part of the career. Long says this is going too far. We have to think about ways that uh, we meet every student that we serve in that building as opposed to individual ones. In Nashville, Kelsey Gibbs, News Channel 5. Tennessee Electronic Library could also see changes. This database is used by the public and schools. A bill prevents users from sending, receiving, viewing, or downloading materials that are deemed to be harmful to minors. Isn't the tone of that news package a little strange? Yeah, well, it ends a little solemn, but it's also like almost upbeat during the during the playing of it, no? Well, I just think there should be more of like a panicked tone. Oh, And like right, a, right. are you guys paying attention? Like they want criminal penalties for librarians. Also, they buried the lead. Yeah, they, oh, at absolutely. At the end of the yeah. clip, they talk about the governor signing the law. They should start with that and then talk about the ramification and how the how the, libra- the, the lady librarian there felt. Absolutely, and the, <laughs> and the criminal penalties for librarians. Yes. I mean, that seems to be something that is of... Primary importance here. You know, growing up in a conservative family, there used to be the, if you don't like it, uh, turn off the TV. If you don't like (laughs) Rush Limbaugh, turn the dial. What do you mean there used to be that? They still say, if you don't like it here, leave. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's exactly right. (laughs) Just happen to have it on the board. Um, But if you don't like the, the shit that's in the library, mommy and daddy, don't let Junior go in there. That's verboten. No, you don't get to go in there. Yeah. Forbidden territory. Too much learning to be done in there. You stay out. Well, isn't that, I was just watching the, I'm thinking now about the Tulsi Gabbard video where she came out in support of the Florida legislation. The don't say gay bill. Yeah, Yeah. and she was talking about how it isn't the government's job to raise your kids. That's the parent's job. Like, it's your job to rear your children and so isn't it your job to, if your kid brings a book home that you read and, and you find to be quote unquote obscene, that you then take an action by telling your kid that they can't read right. whatever that book is? You have a banned book list that's a family matter. Right. Rather than passing legislation that makes certain materials obscene that can be banned from the library for everyone. Right. 
obscene. That's such a nebulous fucking word. Well, and that's that's one of the concerns that librarians are bringing up with this legislation is that what does that mean? Exactly. I mean, even age appropriateness is vague. And then talking about what could be considered obscene, we know what Republicans are after when they talk about obscene materials. Yeah. We've already seen it in these other states that are banning yeah. books. History books, they believe, are obscene. Yeah, they're coming from history. They're coming for history. They're coming for LGBTQ stories. They're coming for anything that they don't agree with and that they don't want people to have access to. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Again, regressive politics dragging us back to a time when, oh, this is obscene. You can't have pornography. You can't have a bikini on. Ah, cover yourself up. I mean, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, so I think similar to the abortion bans that we're seeing happening in various states, we're going to continue to see this banning of books being on the move in, in various states as well. It is... Uh... I was going to save this clip until later, but we'll just play it now. It is amazing to me that conservatives don't catch on to the fact that they're just being manipulated with whatever the culture war du jour is, mm-hmm. whether it be CRT or or like the questioning of, of Katanji Brown Jackson in the uh, Katanji Jackson Brown? Brown Jackson. Brown Jackson. I just call her Judge Jackson. The, the 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 questioning of uh, Judge Jackson during the the confirmation hearings and the what they thought was a gotcha question about what is a woman? Can you define a woman? Um, that is now. I mean, keeping. I talked about it today in a, a YouTube video. But if you remember the confirmation hearings of Neil Gorsuch or Bart O'Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett, nobody asked them to define what a woman is. Mm-hmm. And not because, well, we'd know what the answer would be, but because it wasn't an issue at the time. It wasn't a culture war um, flame out like it is now. Right. Now it's the thing they want to talk about. Uh, A la what Marjorie Taylor Greene said the other day, apparently in a church, talking about this very thing. Question, what is a woman? Because she said she's not a biologist. I'm going to tell you right now, what is a woman? This is an easy answer. Mm. We are a creation of God. We came from Adam's rib. God created us with his hands. We are, we may be the weaker sex, we are the weaker sex, but we are our partner, our husband's wife. That doesn't answer the question what a woman is. No, she wanted to hear Judge Jackson say, in response to what is a woman, she wanted to hear a man's rib. That's exactly what a woman is. <laughs> and that they are their husband's wife. Ooh. What if, what if you're single, Very Margie? Very exciting. Well, what, what if you're a lesbian? I, are you, you're, I guess you're still part of Adam's rib. Yeah. And also, if that's the case, why, why do men still have the same number of ribs as women? I, that's a, hmm... You know, it's a real head scratcher. Well, I think the thing that matters to her is that it really was a winner in the room. Oh yeah, as you can tell. Yeah, she's been working on her tight fifteen. That's a that's a nice comedy set she's working Good for there. Her. Um, <laughs> goddamn these fucking people. Anyway, we'd love to know again what you think about these and other things on your mind. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine, and uh, of course, if you are a real woman. You know, from Adam's rib. You could also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit 
at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Rex C. Rex C. Sean N. Sean N. James C. James C. And Kidge. I, I may be pronouncing that wrong. In fact, I, it's very likely I am. K-I-J-H. So I apologize for that. Thank you very much for your support of the show. Yes, and then we would also like to thank our Patreon supporters who increased their pledges. Yes. Scott G. Scott G. Scott G., thank you for doubling the pledge. H-J-K. H. JK! Thank you so much, H-J-K, for becoming an annual supporter of the show. And Dat Other Guy. Dat Other Guy! Thank you as well for becoming a supporter of the show at the annual level. That is an option for you now. You don't have to. You can still do monthly. But if you want to, you can become an annual supporter on Patreon. If you do become an annual supporter on Patreon, it is 10% off that's ongoing. It's not like a special. So, sorry, spoiler alert. That's probably not a good sales tactic. <laughs> uh, that's not like a limited time well, we're only. Not, we're not really selling it. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not selling it. <laughs> so that is an you, option for you. By the way, just a little insight for the audience. Sure. You would be... Mm-hmm. A horrific salesperson. Oh, no, I, I, it's not, I would be. Terrible salesperson. I am. I used to be a bank teller, and part of my job was upselling people. Trying to bamboozle people into different accounts. Yeah, like different services and whatever, and I just couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it, and so I refused. You know, I'm a really good employee. No, that's not uh, what I mean about not, because you're, you're, you're a fucking terrible liar. Yes. Like, fucking terrible yeah. You're such a bad liar. It's almost like a like a a downgrade. Like some people who are good liars are like, "Wow, that that's very negative that they're such a good liar." Yeah. You're such a bad liar that it's negative. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's honestly not great. And <laughs> I think it has it's created problems for me because there's situations where I wish that I could kind of do the polite lying sometimes. Yeah. But, like, hey, how does this dress look on me? And then your neck gets blotchy and ah! <laughs> there's like a, a, a physical response, even if you don't say anything. Yeah. So what I'm saying is it's pretty great having you in my life, Brittany Page. Well, I didn't know that the rage rash would come up during this. Well, that discussion. is what you call it, the rage rash. Yeah. But it's also the panic rash. It's the, ah, ah, ah what do I it's anxiety rash as oh well. Oh my god! I, where's the, I'm not prepared. Yeah, it's that in human form. It is. Yeah, or rash form. In rash form. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for letting us ramble for a moment, and thank you for your support of the show. We appreciate it very much. If not for you and the community, even the non-financially supporting community that is built up around the show, we would not be able to do what we do. All right, moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, can we talk about my new best friend, Brittany Page? Uh, I 
Uh, yeah. I'm trying to guess. I don't know. Is Laura it- Ingram <laughs> is a wonderful person. Yeah. And it also sparks in me the question. <laughs> Obviously, that's a joke. She's I- a fucking vile, sinister tyrant. No, I really thought you guys were best friends. Not really a tyrant, because she doesn't have any real power other than influence. Uh, she is a, a, a an authoritarian suck-up. She is a... Uh, uh, a, a fascist uh, enabler. Cash in those checks. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, and by the way, one who is hated by her own siblings because she's so terrible. Oh. Yeah. Her brother's gay. Mm. And uh, they are on the outs because, of course, you know, she's a vile, sinister bigot. I didn't know that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this is a strain and something that's been taking place over the course of several years, especially recently with the advent of Donald Trump's power. And that is Fox News celebrities, Fox News personalities, certainly not reporters, um, expressing some level of power that they just don't have. And last night on her show, Laura Ingram went on to warn Disney, because, you know, there's the new culture war surrounding woke Disney, mm-hmm. she warned them that when Republicans be- get back in power, nothing will be off the table. Your trademarks, everything's on the table. As though she has any authority or ability to in- in- enact any of these ki- times, kinds of legislation or-, or committees or investigations that would have to take place. She's, she's but a Fox News infotainment personality. Mm-hmm. But what it tells me is just how entrenched the Fox News sphere of, of people are with actual governance. Yeah. They're involved. Here's Laura Ingram. And when Republicans, they get back into power, Apple and Disney need to understand one thing. Everything will be on the table. Ominous. Your copyright and trademark protection, your special status within certain states, and even your corporate structure itself. The antitrust division at Justice needs to begin the process of considering which American companies need to be broken up once and for all for competition's sake and ultimately for the good of the consumers who pay the bills. And that's the angle. And that's the angle, everybody. So the ones that are too woke, those are the those are the ones. Yeah, the, so the the, the, the the Too woke being her phrasing, the weight by the way. of the government's boot needs to crash down on the neck of the Disney Corporation, not because of co- any competition thing, because what she's talking about here is Disney weighed in and said, yeah, listen, we got a lot of gay employees. Mm-hmm. This don't say gay bill is not fucking good. It's not good. But because of that, we're going to take away your trademarks and your copyright protections and your special status in this God damn. Oh. And the dog woke up. I know. <laughs> I just had to grab her. Um, did you see that Dave Rubin canceled his Disney Plus subscription? How will they ever go on? Well, what's funny is this is like the second time that he's tweeted about doing it. So <laughs> the guy's a fucking loser, Griffin. I saw man. someone make a joke about like how many times he's going to be canceling his Disney Plus subscription. Very <laughs> it's like funny. Anytime it's trending on Twitter, he's making the claim that he's canceling it. it. It is an amazing thing to me that that guy. I know now we're off on another tangent, but you know, he, uh, a, a gay man. They just adopted a kid or, or had one through surrogacy. I don't know, but they had, and then they have another one on the way, and he is. He is full on embraced Trump world, mm-hmm. and they are 
to say unkind just doesn't do it justice. They are bigoted, hateful people Mm -hmm. who talk about him being the devil who is perverting children by bringing them into the world because he's gay. Yeah, it's it's, It's like you picked the right team, dude. Great. It just seems like there can't be like it's not sustainable to do what he's doing. Yeah, eventually it's going to have to crash. That he's doing it doesn't seem sustainable, and I wonder if he is stressed about that in his daily life. If that's something that concerns him, like he wonders himself if he made a mistake because I'm sure that this was paying off very well. Oh, it was. And now he must be wondering, is this going to continue to pay off? Like, what other pivots am I going to have to do? How long can I hold out here? Especially when it's going to be mainstream Republican goal to to uh, reverse gay marriage. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's the next thing. I saw a tweet today. It's like, how wild is it that n- nobody had it on their bingo card or whatever the saying is mm-hmm. that we'd be having the conversation about whether gay rights were something that was something that should be happening yeah. in 2022. I apologize for my previous sentence construction. I was ensuring that the dog is not falling face first from the chair. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, speaking of the Dave Rubin thing, it is kind of like the Republican Party that they they ushered Trump in with open arms and now he's everything's starting to crash down around them. Mm-hmm. And they're having to like, how do we get away from this guy? How do we back away from this guy? How do we distance ourselves from this guy? Right. Same kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dalamore.com. Listen, uh, this show is not just about uh, complaining about Republicans, about sounding the alarm, about uh, authoritarianism or the fall of democracy. This is also a, po- uh, a podcast where we talk about policy and we talk about what would be good for the country we talk about what would be good for the furtherance of the democratic party even sometimes and as part of that we criticize those in power today it was announced that joe biden was going to extend the student loan uh, abatement or the payment moratorium for, for forbearance yeah the payment moratorium until august 31st mm-hmm. this is gonna this is gonna be the fourth time that he is extending the moratorium it's very much in the spirit of the eviction moratorium where at the last minute, sometimes on the last day of the month, the eviction moratorium would be extended. And let me tell you how stressful that was for people that were facing eviction and also people working with people who were facing eviction, trying to help them get resources at the last minute. And it is very stressful for people who have student loan payments that are going to come back online when this is not being dealt with in a way that is actually going to be meaningful for their lives. And, and speaking of lowering the cost of things, um, Rick Newman, you've been looking at uh, Biden's waning popularity and what's contributing to it. We all know that inflation is topic number one, but that's not all. Um, so talk to us about what else you've been seeing. Well, there's this deadline coming up on uh, May 1st, which is when um, people who have student debt, they, they, there has been a moratorium on student debt payments for two years, going all the way back to the passage of the CARES Act in 2020, um, and President Trump extended that deadline, and President Biden has now extended it three times. So are people going to have to start making payments again on their student loans? It's not clear what the Biden administration is going to do. But meanwhile, uh, remember, Biden did say he favored canceling student debt up to $10,000. That's not as much as Elizabeth Warren wanted to do or Bernie Sanders back in the 2020 presidential campaign. 
But Biden has not done that. Um, and I think his point back then was he favors canceling student debt up to 10000 but he wants Congress to pass a law to do that. Congress has not done that. And meanwhile, Biden hasn't done anything. And if you look at uh, the polls of, of Biden's approval, his popularity is sinking the most among voters under 30. And I think there's a connection with um, his inability to do or he just has been decided not to do anything about student debt. This is a hard problem to solve. There are uh, some reasons why canceling student debt is actually not a good idea, but Biden has just not really addressed it at all. He didn't mention it at all in his State of the Union speech on uh, March 1st, and it's not in the budget uh, that he just put out there. So is Biden ever going to do anything about student debt? The The clock is ticking. Yeah, I mean, and people like Sheila Baer, who we've spoken with and who has written op-eds on this on Yahoo Finance, have said, you know, don't cancel all of it, but cancel it below a certain threshold. I mean, he does, to your point, like if he wanted to, he could, what, pass an executive order. There are other recourses he has, no? Well, it's not clear. So <laughs> this is one of those things where um, some people say he, he has the authority to do this by executive action. Uh, but it would probably get challenged in court, and it would be one of those things that uh, is pending for months or even years as we go through the court. By the way, Biden, a year ago, did ask his education secretary uh, for advice. He said, can you give me a memo on whether I can actually do this or not? Uh, We've seen uh, Biden ask for other types of reviews like this, often with a 90-day deadline. In other words, this is a matter of urgency. Get back to me quickly so we can do something. This thing about can I cancel student debt uh, has been pending for a year, and the Biden administration has has not said whether or when that that recommendation is coming. So it seems like the Biden administration is just stalling on this. They really don't want to address it. So that was Yahoo Finance reporter Rick Newman a little behind because the news did come out that they are extending the moratorium on student loan payments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it just dropped uh, hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Listen, Biden's um, real busy right now, maybe too busy to do this, too busy trying to convince Americans that he uh, does not want to defund police, but in fact, he wants to fund the police, as he said during the State of the Union. I don't know who he thinks his voters are. I don't know who Joe Biden thinks he's going to be gaining the vote of in the midterms or in, in indeed 2024 if he decides i hope he does not because he is too old for that um whoever the candidate may be in the democratic party mm-hmm. something has to be accomplished other than you know generational inflation rates being high right and whether whether or not that's all on him or not listen unfortunately we live in a society where elections matter and, and winning does matter and you have to do something so there's this is two-pronged here, the importance level of this, is one, maintaining control of the House and the Senate, maintaining control of the White House, but also the actual real-world good that would be done if you canceled student loan debt. Absolutely. The, the Education Department has previously said that the moratorium on student loan payments saves 41 million borrowers about $5 billion a month. Right. Also... Imagine, You're not helping rich people here. These are people who had to take out student loans. But imagine how many problems could be alleviated for people. And, yeah. and of course, I understand the arguments that this isn't going to actually solve the affordability problem with college. 
that also needs to be addressed. But this is going to be something that has immediate ramifications for people who are struggling with vast amounts of debt tied around their necks. And they, because of that, don't have a lot of hope for what they're going to be able to achieve financially. Right. And let me tell you something. Uh, People who are desperate in desperate straits financially and otherwise, not really engaged in politics all the time because they're so busy surviving. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is a a massive, massive mistake on Joe Biden's part. And this is coming from someone who doesn't have exorbitant student loans. It's not like I've got a a, a giant dog in the fight here. Mm -hmm. But it is absolutely what's best for the country and the long-term health of our of our culture. Uh, He's he's just not he's not getting it done. He's spending too much time trying to play to the middle and convince Republicans that he's here to negotiate even though they in no way, shape, or form are. Yes. All right. Moving on. It's the asshole of today. J.D. Vance. So J.D. Vance is a character (laughs) a la um, Ruben. Yeah. I love that you call him a character. (laughs) Well, he is a character. Yeah. He's hillbilly elegy guy. He's former marine. He's he wants to be. He's I'm going to I'm going to be crazy criticizing Donald Trump and his character. And then as soon as it's it's advantageous for him, or he sees it as advantageous, he jumps right on the MAGA bandwagon. And he has become a radical candidate in this Senate race in Ohio. Listen to just a few seconds of this ad, where he begins it. I saw somebody on Twitter who said he may as well be just reciting the 14 words, which is a a mantra of sorts for white supremacists about uh, maintaining culture for white people and our and our babies. But listen to this ad. Are you a racist? Do you hate Mexicans? The media calls us racist for wanting to build Trump's wall. They censor us, but it doesn't change the truth. Joe Biden's open border is killing Ohioans, with more illegal drugs and more Democrat voters pouring into this country. This issue is personal. I nearly lost my mother to the poison coming across our border. No child should grow up an orphan. I'm J.D. Vance, and I approve this message because whatever they call us, we will put America first. A couple of very problematic things in there. One, that the more Democratic voters are pouring into Ohio. He's not talking about registered uh, Democratic American voters. He's talking about illegal immigrants, as he would put put it, Mm -hmm. uh, that they are going to be Democratic voters. It's the great replacement theory. In other words, he's putting it in other terms. Right. The other thing is he referred to the wall, not as America's wall, to support us and, and protect us from from the 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 dangers of unfettered immigration. No, 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 no. Trump's wall. He called it Trump's wall. He's just a vile, sinister character. Yeah. And I think that, again, similar to how we talked about Dave Rubin finding this role for himself, yeah. this character, uh, J.D. Vance has found a character that is... I don't know, paying off in a certain sense because he isn't very successful at like this actual race that he's running, right? Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know the polling data, but uh, it, one, it's there's a whole bunch of people in the primary. But he's able to write the book, have the movie made on Netflix. He's he's able to be successful in selling his story in other ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, we'd love to know. Listen, if you're in Ohio, I'd love to know what it's like on the ground. Um, some of the messaging around this race. 657-464-7609. Email, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. Com. Let's finish the show on an upbeat note. Taking care of biz. Katie Porter. Once again, Katie Porter. Our former congressional representative, Katie Porter. Now we don't have one. <laughs> I mean, we have one. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, but she does not have a vote. So you know, basically, we are unrepresented. Yay! We are not untaxed. We are mm. definitely taxed and not represented. And what would that be called? Taxation without representation. Yes. So Katie Porter pulled another Katie Porter. She did. We not- fought a revolution because of taxation. Without representation. She did not have a whiteboard this time, but what she did have in hand was dollar bills. And when you hear her counting out numbers, just imagine her counting out dollar bills because the visual is helpful, but not necessarily a requirement for how she illustrates that Medicare for all would save taxpayers billions of dollars and ultimately generate better health outcomes. So if I pay my insurance company $100... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen dollars go to administrative costs. What about Medicare? What do they spend on administrative costs? You know, that range is about you know three to five, three to five percent. Three to five three to five percent. About three to five percent. Right here. And if we look at just billing costs, just billing and insurance costs, Medicare is at 1%. Wait, private companies spend 17 times more on administrative costs than Medicare? What are private insurance companies spending on that Medicare is not? Does Medicare spend hundreds of millions of dollars on television advertisements like private insurance does? Dr. Collins? No. Does Medicare spend millions of dollars on stock buybacks to shareholders? No. Does Medicare um, spend money on marketing? Private insurance likes to put its name on stadiums and PGA tournaments. Is there a Medicare arena? (laughs) No. Does Medicare spend $23 million on executive pay like private insurance companies do? No. We know how much it costs to run a high-quality health insurance program. One dollar. Out of $100, research shows that Medicare spends 1.1% on administrative costs. We spend $4 trillion on health care every year. We could save $200 billion on administrative costs with Medicare for All. And those savings, they could go to expand Medicare. We could spend that money to let patients see dentists. We could spend that money to let patients pay for hearing aids, to help older adults afford eyeglasses, to bring down the cost of prescription drugs, to finally pay mental health professionals for the work they do. 
Instead, all this money is wasted. We're not talking about paying to keep the lights on in operating rooms or improving the quality of care. All this money is used to, to, to pay big insurance to push paper. It's death by 200 billion paper cuts. Wow. So let's do it. Let's do Medicare for all. Think about that. That's a fifth of a trillion dollar savings every single year. That's a fifth, almost a fifth of the of the of the the Pentagon's budget every year could be saved. That's what Republicans love, right? They love saving money. They love saving money. They right? love being good stewards of 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 taxpayer dollars. They love being fiscally responsible. Mm. It's their favorite thing. <laughs> Until Trump's in office and they're running one and a half trillion dollar uh, deficits per year. Well, and adding un- to the national debt. <laughs> and until they hear Katie Porter make this point about Medicare for all. <laughs> right, right, right. So taking care of biz. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt. Always. It, it is uh, another thing that, remember, Joe Biden did talk about. He wanted uh, to expand Medicare in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a markedly substantial way. In a, in a profoundly structurally changing way. And uh, how's that going? All I'm saying is there's a lot of work to be done. And we need somebody who is ready to put in the work. I mean, they, they celebrated today at the White House with Obama there. The 12th anniversary of Obamacare. And I was watching on CNN as it was going down, and they 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 got uh, David Axelrod on there, the political advisor of of uh, Barack Obama, and he was saying that uh, they were counseling Obama, looking this could be very bad for you. You could lose the presidency over this issue. And he said, "Well, if that's what it is, then I will lose the presidency because this is too important to just look at our polling numbers and look at our great polling numbers and be like, oh, well, this is all it is. You have to do something with it." Mm-hmm. Now, Biden doesn't have the currency of popularity right now, but some of that is on him because he could have been doing things all along. And instead, he's, you know, yammering on at the State of the Union about how, no, we want to fund police. What do you think? We'd love to know. 657-464-7609 as I get stared at. And I doubt it at dollamore.com. Do you want me to look somewhere else while I'm doing a show across from you? No, no. I'll stop looking at you. That would not be helpful. It seems like it's what you want. Well, I think what happened just now is in my mind, mm. I'm thinking that we do always want to leave the show on a positive note. And then and I then just dragged us right through the fucking shit. Exactly. Yeah, not great. Sorry, not great. everybody. But you know what? Here's the good news. The show's over. We'll leave you there. We love you. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.